Ah, there's nothing like the start of another bold adventure. What say you, my camel companion? <coughs> What's that, Anna? You see goblins ahead? <coughs> Good heavens, you're right. Hundreds of them. And they're carrying a banner. The Goblin Broadcast Network, gbncom.com. Well, they look hostile. I think we best turn the other way. This is the Escapist Cast, the gaming advocacy podcast. Inquiring Minds. This is Bill, your host for this, the third installment of the Escapist Cast for the week of May 25th, 2008. I'm going to call this episode Fame and Fortune. And the reason for that is we're going to be dishing on some hot celebrity gossip. Okay, we're not really going to do that. In fact, I, I, I hate celebrity gossip, to be honest. What we're really going to be talking about is celebrities who are gamers and also why it's important and interesting to discuss gamer celebrities. I've got a whole lot of gaming advocacy news to read to you, and also this week marks one month until the Origins Game Fair in Columbus, Ohio. I'm very excited I'll be attending this year. I have some big plans, and I'll mention that near the end of the show as well. So let's take a break. We'll get started with the news. The Escapist cast will return after this message. You should be listening to Onboard Games, where they discuss cruise ship activities and... No, no, Biff, they don't talk about that. They discuss... Pirate games of all kinds. They're like the mob of the sea, you know? Avast, you landlubbers. No, I mean, they've talked about pirate games, but that's not all they talk about. They cover... Who would want to discuss boring games? No, no, no. It's Onboard Games. It's a podcast about the board gaming hobby that includes reviews, convention reports, and game design discussions. And while they've reviewed games that pack 15 minutes of fun into two hours, and pirate games, it's not the only things they talk about. And they've never talked about cruise ship activities. Oh, I'm sorry I'm late. I was doing research on games made out of wooden planks, so we can do this on-board games... That's it. I am so out of here. I'm going back to the Wandering Geek Podcast and get the next episode ready. You guys are on your own. I thought he'd never leave. Indeed. Shall we continue? Sure. You get us rolling, big guy. Thank you. For entertaining and informative discussions of the board gaming hobby, you should be listening to... On Board Games with Eric, Don... And Scott, how I do enjoy their game reviews. I like the origin stuff better. Really? I'm looking forward to the Gen Con debrief. You can find it over on www.onboardgames.net. 
Okay, gaming advocacy news. I have a lot of news items to get through in this episode. As you recall, I had a few left over from last episode that I didn't quite get to. So maybe if I press ahead here, I can get to them all. There have been a lot of articles on D&D 4th Edition on various websites, especially a lot of tech websites and MMORPG websites, mostly discussing the history of the game and its upcoming online counterpart. I did find one article uh, on a site called Mashable that I thought had an interesting title, D&D Goes Interactive, which I thought D&D always was interactive, but perhaps they need it in a different way. I have three LARP stories for you. The first from the Harvard University Gazette, Faux Terrorist Exercise Proves Fruitful. And you can find a link to that in the show notes so you can see the full story. I've got a few excerpts from it here I'd like to read. Welcome to Oil Shockwave, a simulated global oil crisis that has been played out several times in Washington, D.C., as well as at the Aspen Institute and the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. It calls for role-playing by a cast of executive branch advisors. They respond to reports on an imaginary cable news channel, GNN, and to aides rushing to the crisis table with intelligence updates. Playing federal advisors was an all-star cast of, well, former federal advisors, including two former Treasury secretaries, one-time Harvard President Lawrence H. Summers, the Charles W. Eliot University professor at Harvard, played the role of the Secretary of the Treasury. Robert E. Rubin, a Citigroup executive and a Harvard Corporation fellow, moderated the crisis panel as the National Security Advisor. Oil Shockwave is a version of a war game to help us understand the consequences of energy dependence, said Douglas Dillon Professor of Government Graham Allison, introducing the event to a capacity crowd at the forum. He's director of the Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs at HKS. This isn't the first time I've had an article on government involvement in a live-action role-play. Actually, you can find several of them in the archives over at The Escapist. It does happen all the time, and it does make you wonder how much they pay for these things. I'm sure it's a very extraordinary amount, and I'm also sure that a lot of us gamers, a lot of us LARPers, could probably arrange something for them for a lot cheaper. Another story from the Chronicle Journal called Live Action Role-Playing Game A Hit this is an article on Thunderguard, which is the first recognized Canadian group playing the live-action role-playing game known as Belagarth. It's a brief article, mostly mentions the foam weapons and shields that they create, but it's interesting to see this as the first recognized LARP group in Canada. It seems like they should probably have had one already, and maybe an Escapist Cast listener out there can set me straight if that's not correct. I received a press release from Rachel Glass a couple weeks ago for a film called Monster Camp, which appears to be another documentary on LARPing, possibly similar to the Darkon documentary, which was fantastic, by the way. Uh, this one appears to focus on Nero, and I told her that I would put the press release on the site and read it on the show, so I'm going to do that now. Monster Camp is a rare and fascinating glimpse into the world of live-action role-playing, or LARPing, a real-life version of the video game phenomenon World of Warcraft. In this award-winning documentary, gamer stereotypes are simultaneously shattered and confirmed. For 48 consecutive hours, there are no breaks, not even for sleep. Immerse yourself in a world completely unlike our own. A world built upon fantasy, chivalry, and imagination. 
a place where you can be anything, dress however, have almost any power. A world where software engineers, department store managers, and high school students live as warriors, sorcerers, and villains. It's a place that lets you transform yourself, perhaps becoming the person you wish you really were. Welcome to Monster Camp, the true story of Nero Seattle, one of over 60 LARPing franchises with thousands upon thousands of members belonging to either Nero International or Alliance LARP in North America. Uh, if I can just nitpick that just a little tiny bit. First off, I really sort of wish they had used D&D or tabletop role-playing as an example versus World of Warcraft. I mean, World of Warcraft was created by tabletop role-playing as well. And secondly, I didn't realize that they didn't let the people at Nero sleep for 48 hours. Um, if I was going to get involved in a LARP group, I think I would probably try one that let me take a nap every now and then. Clark's World Magazine published an article called Of Dice and Men, which is on gaming as an influence for writing fiction. Uh, it features interviews with several science fiction and fantasy writers who discuss the impact that RPGs had, and in some cases still have, on their writing. Uh, there was one great quote in that from Tim Wagoner, the surrealist horror author of Cross Country. As a player, you know a great deal about the world from the various manuals and guides, but your character only knows whatever is part of his or her background and discovers anything else as the game plays out. I learned a ton about how much information to give readers and exactly when to give it to them from gaming. Uh, there were two articles on tabletop RPG from university newspapers, one from The Spectator, the student newspaper, of the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire is titled An Endless Campaign, D&D Fosters Creativity and Social Interaction. That was by Emily Dowd. Uh, it's a nice little article on gamer stereotypes, the benefits of RPGs, D&D uh, versus World of Warcraft, and the upcoming 4th edition. Uh, North by Northwestern, which is Northwestern University's uh, online publication out of Illinois, Playing in One's Imagination, Rulebook in Hand, which was a nifty little article on LARP and has a neat slideshow if you want to check that out. There is a little bit of language in that one just to give you a bit of an advisory. Over on the blog Geek's Dream Girl, she posted an article called Polyhedral Dice for Musicians. This is how to use gaming dice to help with practicing your musical instrument. Um, it's a fun read if you are a musician like myself. Martin Ralia, formerly of Treasure Tables, has teamed up with several other gamer bloggers to create a new game mastering blog called Gnome Stew. Initial response to it has been incredible. There have been tons of subscribers before they even started. When they put their teaser out, a bunch of people uh, instantly came over. And for good reason, uh, Treasure Tables was a fantastic blog, and I missed it a lot. And I know I subscribed right away as soon as I found out about it. You can check that out at gnomestew.com. Uh, let's see. Slashdot reviewed a book on second-person perspective that mentions role-playing games. Uh, the article is called Second Person, Role-Playing and Story in Games and Playable Media. Uh, it features essays by Greg Kostikin, George R.R. R. Martin, Eric Mona, and Ken Height. On Blog Critics, there was a column called Prince Caspian in the Age of Anti-Magic by Janika Unra. I hope I got that name right. This is an interesting piece on the past that the Narnia movies seem to get as far as having magic in them. A past that the Harry Potter and D&D franchises do not get as far as a lot of conservative Christians go. I'll read a quote from that article. On his radio program Focus on the Family, Dr. James Dobson recently interviewed Douglas Gresham, 
the stepson of C.S. Lewis, as well as the co-producer of Prince Caspian. In this interview, co-host Dr. Julie Slattery asked Gresham about the magic present in C.S. Lewis's books. A lot of Christian parents wonder about the magic element of C.S. Lewis's Narnia, Dr. Slattery said on the May 7th program. Is that something that's appropriate for kids? And what's the difference between the kind of magic that's represented by, say, Harry Potter and the kind of magic you're going to see in Prince Caspian? Gresham answers the question by defining magic. He says that magic is what we don't understand, as opposed to something like science, which we pretend we do understand. Gresham does not shy away from the fact that there is magic in the Narnia books. There are several different kinds, he says, some evil and some petty, within the Chronicles. But Gresham puts the idea of magic in a new perspective for those who have feared its impact on impressionable children. The world of fantasy and the supernatural have always fascinated people. Gresham explains the danger of dabbling with things that we do not comprehend, but seems to understand magic's place in today's society. To me, it comes out really as a non-answer that doesn't really draw any lines between Narnia and Harry Potter or D&D. I mean, both of those have evil and petty magic in them as well, and they also have magic that's being used for good. But uh, it was interesting to see the, this issue addressed in an article. This is something that I've mentioned before uh, on the site even about uh, Focus on the Family. They've been very outspoken about RPGs, about D&D and Harry Potter in the past, while at the same time while publishing new editions of the Narnia books for people to purchase. And speaking of Narnia, we really do need a Narnia RPG. If there's anybody out there running one, if there's anybody out there with some campaign notes online, drop me an email, let me know about that, and let me know if I can get that out to escapist readers, because I really think a Narnia RPG would cross a line that needs to be crossed. I got an email from a listener, Lee Williams. I actually got a couple emails from him, and we'll hear both of them in this show. Um, but this one tells me, I take it you are aware of the sad and unusual case of Joseph Fritzl, the Austrian who kept his daughter prisoner in the cellar for 24 years. Well, in today's Sun newspaper here in the UK, in an article relating to his daughter Elizabeth's readjustment to a more normal life, first line refer, refers to Joseph as an evil dungeon master. I can't help but think that the phrase dungeon master is going to have very negative overtones to anyone who reads this paper. Hopefully I'm reading too much into this, but it does kind of strike a nerve. Um, I checked around in the American media for stories about this particular case, and I, I didn't once see anybody use the term dungeon master and I certainly didn't see anybody try to draw any parallels to gaming at all, of course. And it is really easy to read too much into these things when you're accustomed to people drawing those parallels with absolutely nothing to go on. But thankfully, it looks like this is the only case of this happening, and it doesn't really look like there's going to be a big negative movement toward the term Dungeon Master. I've been catching a lot of articles on Grand Theft Auto 4, and exactly which seal from the book of Revelation it's supposed to have opened with its release. A couple of them at least have mentioned Dungeons and Dragons as one of the previous great corruptors of youth, uh, one of those previous tools of corruption that is carefully honed to destroy civil society as we know it. Uh, there was one that was on PressConnects.com. Virtual violence does not cause actual violence, and that was from Press Connects out of Binghamton, New York. 
Every new entertainment medium has gone through this. Fiction-based novels, the waltz, I'm not kidding, look it up. Talking pictures, actors should be seen and not heard. Comic books, anyone remember Frederick Wortham? Rock and roll, Dungeons and Dragons, etc. Each of these was supposedly going to be the downfall of society or turn our children into raving sociopaths. It's simply video games turn to go through the same cycle. In 10 to 15 years, video games will be seen in a similar fashion as we see books, movies, and television today. As people who grew up playing games start to take jobs in the media and politics, the hype surrounding them will slowly disappear, just as it did with all the others. There was another one on the Eureka Reporter, Grand Theft Rationality, and here's a blurb from that. Last, the current hysteria over violent video games is merely part of a long historical pattern of society blaming media for problems real or imagined. Media, from novels to comic books to music such as jazz, rock, and rap, to television and movies, to Harry Potter and Dungeons and Dragons, have inflamed public turmoil over behavioral crises that never come to pass. So it's nice to see D&D moving back in the chain of, of corruptors. And now it's, it's actually moved back into history far enough that most people don't really see it as something dangerous. And now they're seeing it as something that we used to think was dangerous. Finally, I have two articles on three movie directors who are enjoying some success with their latest films. The first two are Andy and Larry Wachowski, who of course directed the new Speed Racer film. This is a quote that was from USA Today's article, Speed Racer Leads Hollywood's Latest Charge, Anime Adaptations. And it's from an interview with Christina Ricci. Ricci prefers to think of their films as the product of geekiness than madness. You know they still play Dungeons & Dragons? Ricci asks. You'll be sitting around on the set listening to them go on and on about why they hate the concept of time travel. I love that. There's all this mystery around them because they don't talk to press but they're really very sweet, kind of sensitive guys who happen to have a nerdy side. There's another article in the LA Times on John Favreau, who directed the Iron Man movie. John Favreau is the action figure behind Iron Man. And here's a blurb from that. Some filmmakers get their start making shaky home movies. Others catch the bug in a high school drama class or maybe through an art institute where they put paint to canvas. Favreau has more of an eight-sided education. It was Dungeons and Dragons, but I wouldn't have owned up so quickly a few years ago, Favreau said sheepishly. It's rough. It's one of the few groups that even comic book fans look down on. But it gave me a really strong background in imagination, storytelling, understanding how to create tone and a sense of balance. You're creating this modular, mythic environment where people can play in it. Maybe there should be a new Hollywood respect for eight- and ten-sided dice and a talent for troll tales. Robin Williams, Mike Myers, Stephen Colbert, and Vin Diesel have all professed their passion, past or present, for the role-playing game. For Favreau, it was the fantasy element that pulled him in, but it was the same sense of story that he carried with him. It allowed me not to tamp down my imagination. I think there's a tendency to turn that part of you off, he said. Every kid has imagination, but at a certain age that spigot gets turned off. I set it aside in high school, and I really couldn't do it now, Favreau said, shaking his head. There's something in my heart. There was such a stigma to it. When I was young, it was exciting, but as I got older, it felt like it was keeping me from progressing. You're social in your small circle, but it's asocial to the wider world. And special thanks go to Donald Dennis from the Onboard Games Podcast for sharing that story with me. Uh, I just happened to catch Speed Racer and Iron Man 
as a double feature at my local drive-in a couple weeks ago and didn't realize at the time that I was enjoying something of a, of a game or film festival. I like these two articles a lot, not only because they show the positive, creative influence that gaming has on people, but also because they tie in so neatly with this show's theme of celebrities who are gamers. In fact, we are going to get to that topic in the second segment, which is coming up right after this break. Hi, this is Ross Payton, one of the hosts of Roleplaying Public Radio. And I'm Tom Church, the other guy. Yeah, we do a uh, regularly updated podcast on uh, RPGs. Uh, we do at least two episodes a month. We offer commentary, comedy, and actual play. And occasionally, and inane stuff no one cares about, too. Exactly. Our commentary, uh, each episode is focuses on a gaming topic, such as how to deal with large groups, or horrible gamers, or how to make old games new and exciting again. Our comedy offers such uh, stories as the Law and Order, a fantasy uh, D&D version of Law and Order, and our actual play does uh, games such as Call of Cthulhu, a, uh, the end of the world as we know it. So if you're interested in any of that, uh, give us a try. And if you're interested in any stuff, give that a try too. Yeah, Roleplaying Public Radio, slandesign.com slash rppr. And now, back to the show. And Celebrity Gamers is our topic for this episode of the show. A couple years ago, in 2006, I think it was June of 2006, Matt Forbeck compiled a list of celebrity gamers on his blog. He posted some of the ones that he knew or had heard rumors of. And then he kind of put a call out for any of his readers to contribute as many as they could. He still has that list on his blog, and I think from time to time people still poke new names into the list. He seems to include board gamers and possibly even war gamers into the mix. It's not just a list of role players. And few of them are confirmed. That is to say, uh, a lot of them weren't gathered from interviews or other verifiable sources. It's hard to determine which claims are true and which are legend. We gamers like to create many wouldn't-it-be-cool scenarios. After all, that's what RPGs are all about. But sometimes we extend that into the real world and create our own urban legends about famous people who share our love for RPGs. Nevertheless, here's some of the more widely known names from his list. Uh, His list includes... Adam Copeland, who is WWE's Edge, Billy Crystal, members of Biohazard, Carrot Top, Craig McCracken, Kurt Schilling, Daryl Hannah, Dave Chappelle, David Brin, Elijah Wood, Emilio Estevez, Ewan McGregor, Freddie Prince Jr., George Lucas, George R.R. Martin, Guar, Harrison Ford, Jack Black, Jacques Villeneuve, who is a F1 racing champion, James Franco, Jason Alexander, Jason Mewes, Joel and Ethan Cohen, Johnny Knoxville, John Spencer from the John Spencer Blues Explosion, Joss Whedon, Kevin Smith, Lou Ferrigno, members of the band Marcy Playground, Marilyn Manson, uh, Italy's ex-prime minister Massimo D'Alema, Matt Gronig, Matthew Lillard, Metallica, Mike Myers, My Chemical Romance, Nelly, Parker Posey, Peter DeLuise, Quentin Tarantino, Robin Williams, members of Rush, Sean Astin, Stephen Colbert, guitarist Tom Morello, Vin Diesel, and Will Wheaton. 
Now, I've had updates on The Escapist about interviews with the members of Weezer and Jimmy Eat World, uh, mentioning that they play RPGs, and we can now add, of course, John Favreau and the Wachowski brothers to that list. Now, recently I picked up a copy of the 30th anniversary D&D Celebration Tribute book. It came out four years ago during D&D's 30th anniversary. It was a book I had never picked up and added to my collection, and I found it cheap in a bookstore recently, and picked it up and was thumbing through it while I was thinking up some ideas for this episode. And I noticed that in between each chapter, they have these really neat testimonies from different celebrities about their experiences with gaming when they were younger. The focus in this book, something I found interesting, was less on actors and actresses and musicians and more on directors and producers and creative designers, all that sort of thing. Uh, the testimonies included appearances by Chris Pryonsky, who is founder of Titmouse Animation Studio and director of Mega's XLR for Cartoon Network, musician Ben Queller, Arthur and poet Sherman Alexi, MTV production exec Ralph Sanchez, Mark Tremonti from the band Afterbridge, writer-director James Marandino, who directed uh, SLC Punk, which of course starred Matthew Lillard, who was on my previous list. And I just happen to have a link to Google Video where you can watch that movie, SLC Punk, uh, online. Uh, I do warn you, however, that it is not for kids. Anyway, back to the list. Executive producer John Rogers, writer-producer John Frank Rosenblum, Obsidian Entertainment President Fergus Urquhart, authors Laurel K. Hamilton and Sherilyn McCrum, director Dave Myers, uh, Ed Robertson of The Bare Naked Ladies, Writer-producer David X. Cohen, who worked both on Futurama and The Simpsons. Cartoon creator Jendi Tartakovsky, who did, of course, Samurai Jack and Dexter's Lab. DreamWorks production exec Mark Holmes. Producer Matthew Rhodes. And writer-producer Tom DeSanto, who worked on X-Men and X-Men 2. So it's a different perspective there, and I like the angle that the D&D book took, looking more at the creative people behind the actors and actresses and behind the movies, behind the screen, if you will. Now, why is this important? Why should we concern ourselves with celebrities, famous people, creative people who also happen to be gamers or were gamers and got their influence from gaming? Well, first off, it adds a sort of legitimacy to the hobby. It doesn't seem as silly to a lot of people when you point out to them that their favorite actors or their favorite musicians are also gamers. In fact, you I think in a lot of cases you'll actually find more people willing to try it out or willing to give it a decent chance because of this. And in many cases, like in just about every example in that D&D book that I mentioned, it provides testimonies to the benefits of RPG how it's creative, and how it helps you build stories, how it helps you create worlds, how it helps you build social groups in the real world as well, and how it helps you discover yourself. You know, that introduction to that book by Vin Diesel, who was really the foreword to the book that he wrote, was about finding out things about yourself through playing a role of, of someone else. So the next time somebody says something harsh, about D&D or something harsh about role-playing in general, you can give them some examples of some of their favorite celebrities, some popular names, and some names of people who work in the creative fields, and maybe prove a point to them 
that it is something that's good for you. It is something that develops your creativity, and it's a lot of fun on the side. I'm sure that there are some celebrities I've missed, some names I don't know about. I'd love to hear about them if you know about them, especially if you have citation in an interview somewhere, an article in some magazine or what have you. Uh, it always helps to have a citation and a reference. Uh, you can send those to me at my usual address, rpgadvocate at gmail.com. Okay, it looks like I'm getting a little bit of response as far as email goes. I know I've been begging for some, and I've actually got two here I'd like to read. One was an email, and one was a comment on the blog. The first one is from Lee Williams. I mentioned him earlier. He uh, sent me the article uh, about the evil Dungeon Master fellow. And Lee writes, Hi, Bill. Just wanted to drop you a line and say how much I have enjoyed the first couple of episodes of the Escapist cast. Even as a gamer of many years standing and sitting, I found the casts informative and the presentation is very good. It's like listening to an old friend talking and enjoying it so much that I don't want to interrupt even if I could. Props also for the Square One casts. I would find it very hard after so many years gaming to talk simply in layman's terms about gaming to a non-gamer but you and Sam manage it very well. Here's to many more casts from you, Lee Williams. That's a great letter right there. Uh, thank you, Lee, very much for that. Um, not sure what to say, except um, looking forward to doing a lot more, both here and with Sam. You know, I don't get to talk a lot here about the Square One podcast. If you're not familiar with that, it is a podcast that Sam Chupp and I do together. Sam Chupp, of course, game designer, creator of Wraith the Oblivion, and my all-time favorite RPG, uh, Changeling the Dreaming. On an extremely irregular schedule, Sam and I do installments of the Square One podcast, each one devoted to a particular facet, a particular area of the role-playing hobby, and describing everything as, as best we can in layman's terms, so that someone with no experience whatsoever will be able to understand what's going on, or at least have a little bit more of a clue than what they went in with. And you can check that out at squareonepodcast.com. Uh, my other letter, which was actually a comment on the blog, came from CRN Games. And I didn't get to check, but I, I do believe that's um, Clinton Nixon's outfit. And I think that's the people that put the Prince's Kingdom together, which is a great RPG to play with kids. Anyway, his comment is, Hi, this was a good podcast. This is in reference to episode one, uh, Tips and Tributes. Uh, this was a good podcast. I especially enjoy hearing what is in the news regarding RPGs. The tips are welcome too, except the Stolze links appear to be broken. Uh, I did notice that, actually. Uh, if you click the links, it comes up uh, because there's some sort of code, additional code that got put in there when I put the links up. However, if you copy and paste uh, the actual addresses, you should be able to get it fine. I tried to go in and edit them, but um, for some reason it's not letting me edit the, uh, the post I created there, so really the easiest thing to do would just be to copy and paste those, those links to those two Stolze articles. Uh, anyway, back to the message. I'm looking forward to see how the kids and RPG thing goes. I have three and would like to see them eventually do some gaming too. Well, I would like to see them do that too. Uh, I will be doing a show on kids and RPG. I'm going to be doing more than one. 
Um, of course, uh, I'll be covering that topic quite a bit. There is another podcast devoted to that particular subject, put together by Sam Chupp. You heard me mention his name before. It's called the Dragonkin Podcast. You do a Google search for that, that'll come up. That's another podcast with a very irregular schedule, but every episode is golden, let me tell you. And I'm not just saying that because my kids and I took over for one complete episode. All the other episodes are good, too, so don't miss that at all. That's, that's a fantastic podcast. That does it for email. Uh, please, if you like the show, if you hate the show, if you think there's something that I should improve upon, please don't hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. That address is rpgadvocate at gmail.com. Just a few notes I'd like to add uh, before I take a break and then we wrap this show up. I will be attending Origins, as I mentioned earlier in the show, this year. Um, I've been lucky enough to make it the last three or four years. This year, I've prepared myself a little better than before. I'll be running six games, six RPGs for kids at this year's Origins. I ran two last year. I ran one game of Toon and one game of Fairy's Tale. And they both sold out immediately. And I had people showing up with generic tokens hoping to get in. And they weren't able to get in, unfortunately. This year, I've decided to um, practice a little bit of overkill. Hopefully, six will be enough. I'd be happy if it was too many. Um, of course, I'd be happy if they all sold out and I still had people waiting as well. But I'm really hoping to give everybody the opportunity to play. Uh, the games I'm running, I'll be running two different games of Toon, Fairy's Tale, Prince's Kingdom, Meddling Kids, and The Sorcerer of Zoe. So if you're attending Origins, be sure to look for my games. You can also find out more about the individual scenarios I'll be running for each of those games on the Young Persons Adventure League website. That's at theescapist.com slash YPAL. And if you go to that page, you'll see that the latest update points right to a special page for the Origins Excursion Agenda. So if you'll be at Origins and you're a kid or you have kids, you'll definitely want to check that out. I am always looking for help with current and future projects for the site. If you're a librarian and you run RPGs in the library as a young adult program or you would like to, you're interested in such a thing, I'd love to talk to you about the Terra Libris project, which is all about getting more libraries to run RPGs. If you're a teacher who's used RPG as an educational tool or would like to, I'd love to talk to you about the Reading, Writing, and RPG project. I've also got something in the works called the Kid-Friendly RPG Locator. That's a wiki database sort of a project of locations all over the country and I'm hoping eventually all over the world where you can look up your local region and see what stores in your area offer games, offer game rooms, tables. You can also register conventions there, libraries, schools, anywhere that would be a good place to take your kids for a role-playing experience. Uh, I need a lot of data for that. That's going to take a lot of contacting stores and all that sort of thing. So if you're a store, if you're a convention, if you know these sorts of people, I'd love to talk to you about that and try to get all, try to get all that data together. 
I've also got a new column that I'm hoping will take off called 20-Sided World. That's a series of culture articles about the gaming scene in different countries. I have a few people interested in writing pieces for that, and I would love to see some more. Uh, so that's called 20-Sided World, and you can, of course, find that on the site as well. And I always need interviews for Tell Me About Your Character, which is a series of interviews I've had running on the site for over two years now with normal, average, everyday, extraordinary gamers who talk about their real-life adventures and what kind of character they are in real life. I always love to get those interviews. Lots of people read those. That Some of the most read columns on the site are the Tell Me About Your Character series. And I'm always getting emails from people telling me that they love that, that series and they just love to read about real-world gamers. Uh, the next episode of the Escapist Cast will be the fourth episode, and it will also come out around the same time as the fourth edition of D&D. Uh, I'd like to say that I plan